welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. Welcome to our series commemorating Baibir Singh and his enchanting story written about Rana Surat Singh. Hosting the series will be myself, Kiranjot Kaur, the associate editor here at Sikri, and Inni Kaur, the creative director at Sikri, as well as the translator of Baibir Singh's work. Rana Surat Singh is the tale of an estranged widow, Rani Raj Kaur, who's pining for her late husband. Within the story, Paivir Singh takes us all on a journey from the temporal realm of spousal longing into the depths of a mystical relationship with the divine. We become Rani Rajkor by hearing about her intense desire to meet her king or her late husband Rana Surat Singh. Her story begins with Satsang, a community of inspired beings, and so it makes sense for us to begin the podcast series here as well. Bhaivir Singh's emphasis on community in this story is perhaps a reflection on the value he places on the larger Sikh community, and perhaps his need to reinvigorate Sikh paradigms with the same love-filled devotion one experiences in the presence of the satsang. We too are building and living in a community with these podcasts. By the end, we as the audience really hope to identify with Rani Rajkor and begin to realize our own spiritual journeys in this tale. By Veer Singh's artful prose and elegant ability to weave this mystical story is something that might change us forever and maybe even ignite a light so bright that we too transform, just as Rani Rajkor does. Join our journeys as we explore the intricacies of the Rani's transformation from lover to gurmukh or guru-inspired being in this podcast series. A series that we hope will detail our own reflective silences and mind-opening realizations as we immerse ourselves into Bhaivir Singh's world of Sikhi, hope, and resilience. Welcome back everyone to our series. Up until now, we've had the opportunity to get into some very interesting conversations about community, giving, and hope in our previous podcasts. Today's podcast, we will be joined by Iniji once again, as we get to dive into Nam and the experience of Nam. Now, let me preface by saying that I feel like when we talk about the divine, it always feels kind of abstract. Like the line that really built a bridge for me in Faivir Singh's work was when I read, when we experience sunlight, we feel like we have attained the sun. And that gave me a bit more insight because for the first time, I realized, realized that we might experience a form of the divine in a similar way, not directly, but maybe as an offset. So up until now in our previous podcast, we have been discussing satsang, ishnan, and dan. And the final stage in this journey to becoming a gurmukh is nam. And I have to be transparent when I say I knew this one would be a doozy because I've always wondered what nam meant as I was reading Gurbani. I never really came close to an understanding in its entirety. But one thing that really made me pause and really take a breath when I read that remembrance is a form of love. Instantly, that gave some credence to my daily feelings of maybe checking in on my loved ones, shooting my mom or siblings a text, or even stopping in front of my grandfather's picture and taking a moment to remember and thank him for all the love and guidance he gave me. 
I felt for the first time that that was perhaps the most brilliant way I had ever seen love described as, as remembrance. So we have Iniji joining us today. And Iniji, I want to know, how can I remember something if I don't think I've ever truly experienced it? So I'm talking about the divine here. And so I guess the question is, what is Nam? And how are we supposed to experience Nam? Um, to you, Karen Jyot, and to our listeners. So, you you know, you've asked a very the question, what is Nam and how do we experience it? And how can I love something I don't see? Wow. Those are big, big questions. So Nam, what is Nam? Nam is your name, right? So how do we know you? We know you as Kiran Jodhkar. We know you because of your name. So in Bani, it is the name of the divine. Nam is the name of the divine. And how do you feel the name? Is when, How do you relate to that Nam? Is when you feel the presence of the divine or the energy. That is how you begin to relate to it. So it's that relationship. It is not the, It is a form, but it is not the divine. It is anything that connects you to that permanent energy, the ikyunkar, the creator. That connection is Nam. You know, like you have said, um, the way Pitaji, Pai Vir Singh Ji has described it is that Nam is a form of the form of the divine, as sunlight is the form of the sun. So when you experience the sunlight, you feel that you have the sun on you right? It's the same way when you experience the miracle in creation or when you experience something so beyond your realm or this feeling, as you were saying one time, that when you were doing Simran of Vaheguru, you have this experience. That is that now. Anything that takes you out of yourself to experience the vastness and Nam, the purpose, or when we feel that Nam continuously or that presence continuously, it is as if we have attained the Nami. Now, the Nami is the giver. So it is that what is Nam. And to your next question, which was, uh, how do you experience it? Well, I'm going to take it from the sick lens. In Sikhi, we know that the creator, the Ikyunkar, the divine, as it has been revealed to us through Guru Nanak Sab, that the divine has no form, no shape, no color, and it cannot be seen. So the question which you ask, so how can you connect or even love something which, as you have said, is abstract? It is through remembrance. And let me walk you through it. You mentioned it very slightly in the beginning. But let me ask you, when the one you love is out of your sight, maybe he's gone to a different country, then in what way or in what form would you remember that love within you? It's when you remember, when you remember the individual. So the deeper the connection, the deeper the remembrance. And eventually, that remembrance that yad 
will become continuous and with every breath because the connection is so deep. And one would never forget that remembrance, that love within. So this is part of that longing, which I was speaking to you about early in the podcast, when you said, what is this longing? This is that longing, what that remembrance becomes 24-7 within you. And it becomes a part of you. It becomes your every breath. That is why remembrance is one form of love. So when the one you love is near, when the beloved is near, you know, the heart, your heart desires that the eyes never leave sight of the beloved for even a moment. But what happens when the beloved moves away from sight? The heart still remembers, never forgetting for a moment. So now the same principle applies. Think about it. We cannot see the divine. We cannot see the creator. But if we keep that creator's remembrance with faith in our heart that the creator, that the divine is there, this remembrance, this is that presence of the creator. Remember how I had said in the previous podcast that the longing then turns from a burning to a sweet longing? This is that stage of that sweet longing when that remembrance becomes sweet and you see that uh, the divinity all around you, that presence, that energy, and it's that remembrance that takes you there. It is not anger that takes you there. It is that sweet, sweet remembrance. That's very powerful, you know, and and I'm starting to grasp it, but I mean, I, I have to admit it's still, um, it's very deep, you know, and in, in the story, the way I'm understanding is Nam is the final destination, right? And it's the final stage in, in becoming a Gurmuk. And I'm not sure how much of it I internalized as I was reading because it just seems like a very, very st- like deep stage of being, if I'm honest with you. And I want to know, like, how does one even get to that very deep stage? Is there a way to get there? And, and is it possible for everyone? Well, I can only share with you what Paivir Singh Ji has written because nowhere I cannot say that I'm there or that I know the way. But what I do know is through the translations, the way he has described it, the step-by-step has resonated with me. So in Sikh thought, this continuous flow of remembrance is Simran is now. How does it begin? It begins with an utterance, and this is the way he describes it. And when this utterance, where this name, where this chanting, or where this thought, when it becomes continuous, it becomes a Simran, and that is love. So if this form of love for the Creator, for Vaheguru, for Ikyunkar, however you call this entity or feel the presence of this entity enters the heart easily then one attains the stage quickly of nam but what if to your question but what if love doesn't enter the heart quickly and the heart wavers then what do we do is it so far away from us that we cannot reach it 
Is there something that we can do? And this is how, what Pibir Singh Ji says. He said, it begins with Nam Jap. We cannot see the creator, he writes. However, we have given a name to the creator, multiple names, the names which we associate with the creator. And these are different names what different people have. And it is actually the devotees, the Pagats, who give the name to the creator because in their devotion, there are words that come out. In a mother's love for a child, she says many words for the child that may not be the name of the child, but in love, she calls the child X, Y, and Z, right? Because that love propels her. Similarly, the name of the divine is actually given by the Bhagats, the devotees, in their love. When they are in that state, they define or they put a name to it. So whatever that name that you associate the presence with in your body, practice that. And that begins with the tongue. Firstly, through the tongue, when you start reciting that name, that name of that entity which is vast. So when your tongue starts reciting the name and you begin remembering the creator in your, in your heart, you will gradually and naturally turn inwards. And that, that chanting, that nam, moves from the tongue to abide in the mind. So it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a process. First thing is remembrance. Chant it, and then gradually it becomes a part of you and it gets to abide in the mind. So then he writes, the next stage he writes is, when nam begins to reside in the heart, he's, he calls this simran. And he describes the stage. What is it? It Simran helps one get to that deep stage that, you know, Kiran, you were asking about. So why? What happens at this stage? Well, at this stage, when unkind thoughts invade the mind, Simran slows them down. And as this pattern, and over time, this pattern gets established. And when Simran gets fully established in the mind, it's called Mandanam. So like we had Ishnan of the body, Ishnan of the mind, Ishnan of the intellect, and Dan the same way. Similarly, it is about the mind too. We begin with the body and then it goes into the mind. And then he writes that as Nam goes deeper, it reaches the place where the subtle mind and your natural deep-seated nature reside. And Nam begins to live there. But he's very careful and he says, but no one knows how this happens. At this stage, he says, he says, your intellect, your mat gets cleansed and the shadows within you disappear. And it is as, you know, and the effect is like, he writes, spreads like one's entire inner being is cleansed and has become clear and beautiful. Now this intellect cleansing, this mat, rises above the mind. And in one of the ways which we can identify or one can identify the way it happens 
this elevation happens is that one's own self rises. Now, this is not an arrogance. This is a higher stage of awareness. Um, this is probably one of the most elevated spiritual stage, which he describes as Unman, where the Atma, the essence, the spirit experiences um, great comfort. It's like it's reached its place and it's being illuminated with this experience. Um, and he writes a beautiful sentence. He says, it is the beautiful tree within begins to spread. And when that tree begins to spread in its branches and there is this experience, what happens? One's consciousness, one's chit becomes calm and illusion-free. And one experiences this continuous flow that the Vaheguru, that the divine, that the one is always there. So what happens? Your consciousness becomes calm and illusion-free and you experience a continuous flow of the presence of the creator, the divine, the Vaheguru, the one, whatever you call this entity. And this becomes the reality of your consciousness. No longer it is someone else's experience or no one, no longer is it that you've read about it. It's actually you feel it. And then when the Nam, when this feeling, this Nam, this connection, this deep connection, begins to reside within the Atma, within your spirit, you get connected to the Nami, the giver, the Akalpurak, you know, the divine, however you call it. And that is union, that male that takes place. And it is only through Simran can this connection happen, that this connection with the divine, uh, with this entity take place because it really is a connection between that entity, that supreme being, that Paramatma, that essence with the capital E, with your small essence, with the lowercase e, with the lowercase a, with the lowercase spirit. So it's a meeting of the capital S with the lowercase s, the meeting with the capital um, supreme being with a lowercase self. So as long as there is, you know, breath in the body in every moment, this continues, this connection will be continuous. It's like a branch that is connected to a tree. Um, however, he writes very candidly, this is only an example, because that true connection, that true reunion cannot be re revealed and it cannot be relayed because it's an experience. It is like that. But is it that? No one knows. But what he writes is that this connection stays till the end, doesn't break, even when you leave this body. So whatever that Simran, whatever that deep connection, whatever you do in your life, in your journey, it stays with you. It carries forth. It is part of your spirit, your consciousness, which never dies. So it is, it was a bit long, but I wanted to take you on that journey because when we say it in bits and pieces, we never see the entirety of it. That what is the purpose of now? Why do we do it? And hopefully these 
this part which I have relayed to you will answer some of those questions. Thank you, Anuji. Um, yeah, that is very, very powerful what you've just said, because of course, yes, we read about mystical experiences, but you know, to be able to have that experience for yourself, um, that is, of course, the goal. And a lot of the times, you know, even when you're reading about it, or you're trying to understand about divine union, it it feels very unfathomable. unfathomable. It feels like we can't reach it. Um, but, you know, I really, I, if you can, you know, take me a little bit further into the journey and break down what exactly is Nam going to do? Like, does it do anything to your physical body? Is it purely, um, you know, within the consciousness? What, what is it that it's going to do and what's the effect of Nam on you? So I'm going to have to condense exactly what, um, what I had shared before. So in a nutshell, um, if I can say, I think let's put it, Nam does five things. I think that's much more easy, which might, it may be easier to understand. Firstly, it cleans the, the turmoil or uh, the unclean thoughts or the unethical thoughts from the mind and makes it crystal clear. It takes away that noise. Secondly, Nam distances the ego. The ego within us disappears because as we, as the mind gets cleansed, we get closer to uh, realizing that we are not the be end of all. There is something far greater that is working in within us. And so that reduces the ego. Nam does that. So thirdly, what it does is that it, it, uh, it strengthens the mind. It enables the mind, it enlarges the mind to actually have a deeper concentration. There is a steadiness that comes within the mind. And this allows for the insights to take place. Because so long as the mind is in turmoil and is constantly on the run, uh, there's, no, no, there's no time to think. But as the mind has gotten cleansed through Nam, as the ego has dissipated, there is a chance for the insights to emerge. And there is a beautiful thing that what Nam does, the fourth thing is, we talk about Amrath. It gives you that sweet taste within yourself. That Amrath, that softness, that sweetness that comes on the tongue. Um, there is a gentleness. It is like a it's like a soft, soft drizzle that one feels within. That is what Nam does. And lastly, it connects you to the Nami, to the giver, to the creator. And meeting with the giver, the creator, the divine is actually the purpose of Nam. It begins. Um, it begins with the tongue reciting the name, the remembrance, and where it takes you to, to the end is meeting that timeless being, that Akal Puruk, that divine, that Ikyunkar. This is the Guru's way, the Gurmat way, 
of that connection of that male. There are many other ways people have that in different traditions, but in Gurmat, this is the way. So, you know, when you are continuously in that remembrance of Nam, there is this beautiful, um, there is a devotion that enters you. And that devotion is actually so powerful and so sweet and so loving that you want to continuously be in that stage because to keep remembrance 24-7 is very hard until you don't become devoted. And it's not that you become devoted. It's actually devotion happens on its own because you're because you're experiencing the sweetness. You are, you are experiencing the insights. So the devotion comes from that because that is what you want more and more of. So it's, it's not that you no longer are in control in the sense that I will do this. Not really. It happens on its own. But you have to begin. You have to want it. There has to be that desire. Yeah, I think uh, when you condensed it a little bit, it was a lot easier to follow. And, and it kind of, um, I feel like you could be talking for hours and, you know, it still is such a deep concept. So thank you for going over that. And, you know, just to bring it back to this entire series where we have been going into, you know, what does Ishnan mean? What does Don mean? Um you know, and what does satsang mean? Now we're coming to kind of uh, a more complete picture with Nam. And I want to know, you know, because these are all stages and we spoke about this in the last um, podcast, that it's not necessarily linear either. But, you know, I wonder, and this might be very silly of me to ask, but, you know, what happens when the individual kind of completes it and attains all these stages, you know, Nam, Don, Ishnan, they've come into satsang. You know, do they just cease to exist? Like what what are they doing? You know, um, you know, are they floating? Are they like these little like, you know what I mean? Like what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> what's happening with the beings? Oh. <laughs> so it's interesting because the same question was asked the Rani asked the same question, you know, like what happens to to the individual, and and in the story, it's it's revealed when the Gurmukh, this person who has attained, this individual, all three, what happens within them then? So there's a stage where they there's a realization that dawns within them, and they recognize the self as the observer. Many times in our lives, maybe we have been in situations where we become the observer. We don't necessarily partake in something, but we are observing it. We are in the drama, but as observers. So think about it that the Gurmukh is now observing, this, recognizes the self that the self is observing everything that is going around them. There is a, they're, they're no longer attached to everything what is around them. Um, but, you know, this is, this is that stage of the Gurmukh. And I truly believe we use the word Gurmukh way too casually because a Gurmukh stage enters when 
the being, where that consciousness, where that self realizes that I am not separate from that supreme being. I am not separate from Ekyankar. They become aware that everything within me is already done. What we call mind, mind, whether it's my body or the body of the one I love, whether it's wealth or whatever else, our senses, our mind are all performing or or are intuitively performing done. So this self, the I, the own self, is unblemished. It's become it's normal. It's clean, and it's an inseparable part of the of that jyot, the creator. That is why the Gurmukhs yearn, or we yearn to attain Nam. You know, Nam is the third principle practice of a guru-oriented, of a Gurmukh, and it is the crown of Ishnanandan. Nam aids both Ishnanandan to reach their destination. Ishnanandan cannot happen without Nam. There has to be that yearning that that individual wants to experience something far greater. But we also recognize, you know, Kiranjot, that very that rare individuals get to the stage. However, we get glimpses of these individuals. You know, we get glimpses of certain stages in certain individuals, and we know it's there. So use the word Gurmukh with caution. Who we assign as a Gurmukh is, you know, we need to be careful. So we can't say they're, that they're these people that are just floating above the clouds and above attachment, right? No, I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> <There's no situation. laughs> as much as we would like to believe, you know, that they have, uh, you know, I know a lot of, there is in Bani that you reach certain stages and the Riddhisiddhis, which are these, um, these powers that come to you. But the Guru always says, rise above them because that's far something far greater. And this is that greatness to connect with the Nami. Don't get tied in with these with these supernatural powers of you. Oh, I can see, I can predict the future. Or if I say something, this will happen. Or I can give you a mantra. I have these powers. Don't get tangled in those because there's something far greater that the Guru is saying, go there. You can experience it. You can be a part of the divine. You know, you are a part of the divine. You are just not experiencing it. So experience it. Go there. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea for another podcast, just to delve into the Adhisiddhis, because I really, I, that always kind of like gets me going. But, you know, it's really interesting because now I feel like I'm, I finally arrived to the table and I've, you know, I'm starting to really understand um, because we've spent so many hours just trying to delve into these um, very, very deep, deep concepts and ideas. But one thing that, you know, this might be kind of like the philosopher in me, but, you know, it's interesting, this this word, the creator, right? Because in religious conversations, whether it's like lay conversation or in academia, we're always talking about the creator, 
you know? And like, for me, if I bring it down, like when I think of a creator, I think of my mom, right? I think uh, I share that intimacy with her. Of course, I believe in something beyond, right? I believe in a call book. But again, that's, you know, when I'm talking about intimacy and um, where I feel like I came from, I came from my mother. And so, you know, you talk about remembrance and it becomes a part of you. And I'm not discounting that. But, you know, if maybe I'm intellectualizing this too much, but how am I really supposed to love the creator if I don't know them? You know, is that just is that just a blessing that happens? And, you know, like, or am I am I pushing too hard here? I'm smiling at your question. <laughs> Maybe I'm. Uh, because I love the way you say, am I supposed to love the creator if I don't know the creator? Well, the simplistic way, if I had to answer it, you're not supposed to do anything, Karen Jobs. <laughs> you're not supposed to do anything you don't want to do. <laughs> because you rightly said, you cannot love something or someone you don't know. It's about a relationship. It's all about that. Everything comes down to a relationship. And when you begin to form a relationship with, with well, what you said, that you believe in a Kalpara, right? You believe in it, but you haven't formed a relationship as yet. So that relationship, when that relationship develops, and that depends on you, that is when you are going to feel something. But... You know, people feel things in different ways, but the most important thing is to have for that connection to take place or whatever it is, is for some, it is important that they have this connection. For others, no, they don't need to know. They don't need to have a connection. They don't need the creator. They just go through and sail through life. But for some, it's, it's important and it becomes a matter of faith. They have faith. It becomes an anchor for them, right? And they go through life and it helps them. So what is in sick thought? In sick thought, you know, it is ikunkar is all-pervading. The divine is all-pervading. In the seen world, in the unseen world, it is always there. And it is invisible to our naked eye. But the light we know is in, in every being. And that light is the creator. If we can say, you know, the creator, or we can say the light is in every being and the light is the, is the creator. Light, it, it is the light. And as this connection with this light, because I want to take, go, not use the word creator for a moment. And as this connection with the light get stronger and firmer, then you began to begin to remember the light. You lean on the light and you start paying attention to that light. So when you give your attention, your total attention to something, let's take it at the practical level. When you give your attention to something, your total attention to something, your work gets accomplished. But when your attention gets diverted, your work suffers. Similarly, if you focus your attention now, in your case, on Akalpurak and others on, on the light, uh, in the divine, on the divine, on the creator, on nature, whatever it is, and the qualities and what you feel when you're thinking about 
Akal Parukh or the creator, you too will feel an energy because now it's in your, in your mind, it's in your thought, you're thinking about it. And you'll see a shift, you'll feel, see a shift in your consciousness. And gradually you'll begin to witness a few minor changes within you. And you'll realize that there are certain times in the day or certain moments that you reflect more deeply than others. And a relationship is being developed. It may be in the, boy, in the form of a conversation. It could be in the form of art. It could be a, in a form of chanting. It could be in any form. It could be a form of actually even taking a walk and just appreciating the beauty and developing that relationship. Now, whether you experience that love or not for the creator or you feel that love for the creator or you feel the creator's love or divine love, that's a different conversation. But it's a journey. So part of me wants to say, why is that we expect a relationship to happen without any investment of ours? You know, we go to school for so many years. We put ourselves through multiple exams to get the degrees because we know it leads to a financial security. We know it leads to success and all that. Are we willing to put ourselves are you willing to put yourself through the same rigor to experience the vastness, the divine? Yes, there are no guarantees. But are there guarantees that after your degrees you will attain success, Gurunju? It's that investment. So you want to know someone. And if you want to know someone, you must invest in knowing that person, that entity, and the deeper or the, the stronger that connection to know that person, believe me, you will want to find everything about that person. I remember when uh, I read, I began reading Professor Puran saying, I absolutely fell in love with the man. He entered my consciousness. And when he entered my consciousness, I read every book of his. I wanted to know everyone who knew. I even went so far as to find people, his relatives, and speak to them about him because he was in my consciousness. I read what his wife wrote. I mean, literally, you become obsessed and you put in that effort because he did something to me. He, there was a shift in me when I read his books. Because the change within me was so drastic and I appreciated that change, then I wanted to know about the man who made it possible for me. Right? So that's the journey. That's the same thing. It's the same thing with this vastness, this entity, is that you want to feel it. I mean, you've said it yourself when you're chanting, there is something you experience. What is that? Don't you want to know more about that? Don't you want to put all your effort that this feeling that I have for a minute or two, why can't it last for five? Why can't it last for 10? Why, why can't it last forever? 
Why can I not be in that space and time when nothing affects me and that I feel this protection? That's what it is. That's beautiful. You know, and I think um, as we were going through these series, like it was, you know, it was a, a point to kind of make sure we covered all our bases. But, you know, ultimately where we end is very, very personal. And I think like, I loved the way you said anchor, you know, when you use that word anchoring yourself, I felt like immediately I thought, okay, like gratitude practices that you bring into your life every day. Like, how do you, you know, kind of just like sit still and appreciate the beauty around you? You know, there's, there's so many ways of connecting, but sometimes we don't even know we're connecting. Sometimes we, you know, and, and I'm not saying we need to label anything, but it's always nice to kind of have a path that we know about and that we know that there's, there can be more here as well. Right. It just, you just have to start. You have to keep that effort. Um, and I think that's really beautiful because I've always spent my whole life. I've spent reading about mystical experiences, you know, the works like, you know, Rumi and reading different gurmukhs, you know, that would publish their autobiographies and explain all these crazy like riddhi siddhis that would happen. And I'm like, whoa, magic does exist. Right. But then I never really, you know, I never really thought that I could do that too, where I could connect, where I could kind of feel something beyond myself until, you know, those moments yeah, when I'm doing Simran job or when things just start to kind of slow down and I, I realize like, whoa, I can, I, I, I see my fingers and I'm like, whoa, it, it feels like I'm looking at my fingers for the first time. What is like, I'm in my body and, um, you know, I'm here and I'm so grateful to be here and to be having conversations that make me feel like I'm more than just my body. I'm more than just my intellect, but I'm, I'm something more. I'm, I belong to something way bigger, uh, this vastness that you talk about. So I, I'm just, I'm just over the moon right now. And also a little bit sad because, you know, Bhavir Singh has really held my hand for these four podcasts as well as you and Niji, because you never know how much, um, an author or scholar will, affect you until you really dive in. And um, I never had dived into Bhavir Singh's work for, before this. So it was really just super eye-opening. And um, I'm super grateful that I had you as a guide. And I'm sure our listeners will say the same. And that, you know, it's it's really been a journey of wisdom and reflection during the series. And, you know, I feel like there's still so much to be said and, and so much to be learned. And We've gained so much, not only as the people that, you know, we're kind of orchestrating these conversations, but I feel like also as learners and seekers, right? Just like our mm -hmm. listeners. So, you know, I'm very, very grateful. And even if this is just the tip of the ice, iceberg of Bhavir Singh's work and, and not only Bhavir Singh's work, but just in general, what, to, what it means to be a Gurmukh, I'm sure, just as our listeners might be, that I'm really keen to learn more. I'm really keen to, you know, with, you know, God's grace, become a Gurmukh one day. So thank you so much, Aniji, for sharing your knowledge and your personal reflections, because it will definitely stay with me until next time. It was, it's been a beautiful journey. But in this journey, there is one word which you have used way too many times. And that was magic. <laughs> It's the Harry Potter fan in me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to touch on that. You know what the guru's magic is? Hmm. You know, you talked about the Riddhi Siddhis and the and all you got enchanted with what the Gurmukhs and all. Well, let me tell you the guru's magic. 
if I may, the Guru's magic is that takes ordinary beings like us and makes them extraordinary. That's the magic of the Guru. To take ordinary beings to extraordinary. And that's the journey. That's the magic you want in your life. No other magic. Brilliant. Yep. So, you know, my journey with Rana Surat Singh continues. Um, you know, I am working on translating a few more chapters. Intense as they are, they are blissful. <laughs> because, you know, they truly absorb me and I get transported into a different realm. Amazing. So, so you know, but how can what is not seen be described? It's hard to describe that. Only the ones who have seen it. The ones who have seen it also say it cannot be described. It has to be experienced. This is an experience. What I have shared, what I have read, what I have absorbed, it's, these are just words. However, that rust, that nectar is in the experience. And also the desire to experience, that gets heightened. You know, my desire to experience everything that is written has really been heightened. And the path has been laid out. And that's why, for me, I am, you know, uh, constantly working, or this piece is working on me, or Rana Surut Singh is working on me. And it is a gift. It's a gift to me. I feel, yes, it's Bhaivir Singh's 150th birth anniversary, this December, but I feel instead of me giving him a gift, he has given me a gift and a gift to all the seekers. But that's what, and I would call him a Gurmukh now. I don't use that word. Rarely, I think this is probably the first time I have used that word because I use it because he has, through his light, touched my mat, my intellect. And that's what a Gurmukh does. You know, lights one for the other person so they can begin their journey too. So thank you, Kevin Jude, for being brave enough to, uh, to volunteer to do this with me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, anytime. And you know what? I have to say, Niji, like the way that Bhaivir Singh has kind of held your hand, I think you've held my hand and maybe my listeners and our listeners today can really, really relate to that because you have been, you know, um, that light for, for me in this journey. So I really want to say thank you to you. And, you know, thank you to all the listeners that have been... Um, you know, listening and going through this journey with us as well. Um, we will be hosting regular podcasts with NEG on different themes. I, I think I'm going to push for a magic one. Um, <laughs> so please feel free to, to send me your thoughts and, um, you know, any ideas of what's next. So um, thank you all once again. And my email is skidandjolt.core at sikri.org if you have any feedback. And uh, again, once you know, thank you all for joining us and thank you, Niji. Bye, Guruji Ka Khalsa. Bye, Guruji Ki Fateh. Bye, Guruji Ki Fateh.
You are listening to SickCast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.